Whether you're starting a game or starting your day, you need to pick a starting lineup, and you're going to want the starter from Jack Black. Loaded with the superior skincare the pros love, Kings fans can get the starter for just $10, shipping included. Available exclusively at GetJackBlack.com with the code TEAMJB, the starter has four of Jack Black's best-selling skincare and shave products, plus a full-sized intense therapy lip balm, SPF 25, in natural mint. Here's to the winning combination for 2022, the LA Kings and the starter from Jack Black. $10 plus free shipping, available at GetJackBlack.com with the code TEAMJB while supplies last. You're listening to an LA Kings podcast. For more episodes of this and every other Kings program, visit LAKings.com slash podcast. You're listening to All the Kings Men, the official podcast of the LA Kings. Now, here's your host, Jesse Cohen. We are talking about the 2022 NHL entry draft. Joining us now to talk about the Kings' second round selection is Jim Connolly, executive editor of U.S. College Hockey Online and a color analyst for Hockey East on Nesson. Hunter was about to read the uh, read the letters like it was ESPN or something. But Jim, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Uh, so the Kings select Jack Hughes, uh, not that Jack Hughes. I feel like we're all now uh, obligated to say. Marky Nettie said of Hughes, uh, at 51, we were very fortunate to get him. The silver lining was that he was ranked 26 by NHL Central Scouting and 35 by Bob McKenzie. Knowing that, is this uh, is this a gem that fell to the Kings in your mind? I feel it is. You know, I, th- I thought that he had a, a definite potential to be a late first-round pick. Um, and, I, you know, his numbers as a freshman at Northeastern were not off the charts, just 16 points. Um, but he's he was the youngest player in college hockey last year, which kind of stands out to me um, that he's mature and able to take on the college game. I thought he fit right in. But offense didn't just come naturally. And it's hard when you're you know 17 years old uh, with a six foot frame, but maybe only I, I've seen everywhere from 165 to 180 as his listed weight. He's got a lot of growing to do in terms of physically filling out. And I think that as that happens, he will become a better player. So I think he has a lot of, a lot, a lot of high end potential um, and I think with the good hockey bloodlines, of course, his dad, Ken Hughes, the, the GM of the Montreal Canadiens, I think that when you look at that sort of great bloodline, you're in a good position. I think at 51 generous uh, that the Kings were able to get him down there and that he hadn't been you know, swiped up a lot earlier than that. So much of hockey, well, so much of everything in life, I suppose, is is not um, physical. It's, you know, it's what, what was the uh, old expression, 50 percent or... Uh... 90% of the game is half mental, I think was the Yogi Berra quote. Um, I always am fascinated by players whose dads were coaches because it just sort of right it gives them a baseline attitude or awareness or or mentality that you know that I think might be tougher. But uh, I've never really thought about kids whose dads were executives. Um how does that influence you know, like how he approaches the game. Can you see that he has a completely different um, understanding of how the the monster works? I'm not sure yet. You know, obviously his dad's pretty new into this role mm-hmm. uh, with the Canadians and all. And, you know, he was, he was an agent before that, but he's coached. He's done a lot in the game. And you, but you're just surrounded by the game when you're in a family like that. 
Um, you know, so he and his brother both have been coached at, at many levels by their father and, and obviously have been surrounded by probably great hockey talent, great hockey minds all their lives. And, you know, I've, I read something that, you know, from, I believe it was Jim Madigan, who's now the athletic director at Northeastern was the previous head coach who said that these, these kids eat, sleep and drink hockey. And, you know, it never leaves your system when you have that much of an influence for the game. And you saw some of his natural skills on the ice at times last year. I, I know we called a, a couple of games where he just, he stood out and you could tell maybe he's not, he wasn't the best player on a pretty good team that won the regular season in hockey. East, went to the NCAA tournament, um, but he was one of the probably three best players in that at the same time being the youngest player in college hockey, as I mentioned before. So I think there will be positive steps that he will be able to take um, in these at least next season. He'll definitely have another season at Northeastern, maybe two, um, just to get that physical maturity. Um, but I think that, you know, when he steps on the ice this season, I expect him to be one of the top three, three players in hockey East. So every now and then uh, there's a guy on our team named Blake Lazat. And every now and then I have a night where I look down and I go, is, is Blake Lazat the best player on this team? Like, I don't like what's happening, but I would never describe Blake Lazat as like, you know, a Connor McDavid type. So if Jack Hughes is having one of those nights where he's the best player on the team, what kind of game is Jack Hughes playing that takes him to that level? Well, he sees the ice probably as well as anybody on his current team at Northeastern, his ability to make plays, you know, he can move the puck up ice. Well, he's always kind of trying to think where he wants to put the puck. Now that said, I think his coaches would like to see him shoot the puck a little bit more. He's always thinking past. So you're going to see some great playmaking from him. And that's something that, you know, I know that it has its, its roles. People love goal scorers. We know that. And, and we love the flashy goals and he's going to have a couple of those, but he makes great plays. I, I go back to the last night of the regular season and Northeastern needed a regulation win to capture their first ever Hockey East regular season championship. It was a tie game with under 10 seconds left. He was taking an offensive zone faceoff. It felt like he almost intentionally lost the faceoff, but knew that he was going to go into the corner and thus attract some attention. Three Merrimack players converge on him. He wins the puck, feeds it out to... Uh, Aiden McDonough, who scores the game-winning goal, Northeastern ends up the regular season champion for the first time. And, and that's the type of play that he'll make, and he'll stand out for that. I mean, that was a flashy play, but simple. It, went, it meant that a kid that was maybe a little undersized got into the corners, won a puck against three defenders, and then made a perfect pass. He has that talent. So he right now he does seem to be always looking to pass the puck. I think that, you know, I think Jerry Keefe and their staff at Northeastern would love to see him shoot because they know that he has that talent. But passing, shooting, he will develop into a good offensive player. Now, can he can he apply that uh, on ice awareness, for lack of a better phrase, uh, to the defensive end? Like, is he effective in his own zone? He needs to improve there, I think. Uh, I think that that is one of the areas that I, I know that getting back, you know, and that's part of Northeastern's mentality generally is that they can get back. And they they weren't one of the best teams plus minus wise in the country last year. And that was with a very good goaltender in Devin Levi uh, when he was between the pipes. But at the same time, I think that that's something that the Northeastern coaching staff emphasizes a lot and they'll work on. 
um, with Jack. In you know that that will be the part of the game that probably needs to improve. Besides just getting bigger, that's the off ice portion of working with those weights and getting the extra time in the weight room that you get in college that you might not get in in the uh, the CHL and, and major juniors. I think that that could be the benefit. You know that he gets bigger there, and then he also gets that really specified time. You know, you think about it: two games on a weekend, five days to practice four maybe because you take a day off but you get a lot more video sessions you get a lot more practice you know a lot more drills the ability to work on stuff like that defense which i think will be something that will be more emphasized could make him a more complete well-rounded player there's a story um i think it was from the athletic about uh, his brother watching him play and seeing him go up against a much larger opponent in the face-off dot, and the brother says something like, "This matchup should be illegal." There's, you know, such a size <laughs> difference, um, but says his brother, you know, just puts his shoulder down and and powers through it. So, um, what's your sense of how he handles adversity on the ice? <laughs> when you think about the fact that he was the youngest guy out there last year, and he was mm-hmm. playing against, you, you got to remember because of COVID, you had some. Fifth year seniors that could have come in at age 21, and these kids could be 24, 25 years old. Here's a 17 year old kid, undersized, going against every, you know, every player that was bigger, tougher, stronger, more experienced, and older. And he never backed down. I think that's what always impressed me from the first time. I, we, I think we called his first game uh, in the icebreaker last year, and he, maybe he didn't stand out, but you knew he was on the ice. And that was as a 17 year old kid, you know, the, he came into college early, but I don't think he came in too early. If that makes sense, he, you know, he came in at 17, but emotionally he seems ready. The, the development will come becoming more of a more round, well-rounded player and then, you know, g- growing physically. I think those are the two areas that if he's going to change and improve, that's where he's going to get it. I think in terms of toughness, mental toughness, all of those intangibles that coaches and GMs talk about all the time, I think he has a lot of those already in place. Ordinarily, one of the things about the draft that always sort of makes me laugh or roll my eyes is there'll be a guy taken in the, you know, fifth round and he'll be – you know, he'll be fine, a fifth round pick, and they'll say, all right, well, who does he compare to? And they'll say, like, well, he reminds me of Al McKinnis. And you're like, oh, really? The guy in the fifth round reminds you of, like, okay. But um, a, an image of the kind of player that Jack Hughes might be is starting to form in my head, so I'll just ask you, uh, what kind of uh, – is there an NHL player uh, that you could see him turning into? I, I always think these comparisons are so unfair because <laughs> you're making them so far. Up. But you yeah. know, the one guy, when I think of a guy who's a playmaker, and we saw him a lot here in Boston, um, David Krejci. I don't know if he has all of that high-end skill, but Krejci was such a playmaker, always looked to make that play for us, had the, the, the shooting skill as well and could score goals. But David Krejci was always going to be more assist-heavy than he was goal-heavy. And I think that that, is, you know, as Jack Hughes – develops as a center and as a as a forward he will end up probably being more of a playmaker it's just it seems to be his natural tendency you're going to look for the great play first and the whole thing is is he makes a lot of difficult plays easy he has the ability to saucer pucks and put them perfectly on sticks real good passes finds the seam a lot 
Um, that makes him that'll make him a very attractive power play player, I believe, as well. Um, so I think I, I I don't want to put that type of pressure on any player at 18 years old, but you know I think that he could you know turn into a nice little playmaker like a David Krejci. Excellent. Well, listen, Jim, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining us. And never a problem. Uh, thanks for the time. Bad calls, dirty slashing. We expect a little bull on the ice, but you know when we can't stand it when we're tracking packages, looking up tracking numbers, shipping statuses that never get updated. We call Bullship. So we got Route. It's the free app that tracks everything you order online in one place. Route sends us real-time tracking updates, or we can pop into the app to see where our stuff is on an actual map. Download the Route app in the App Store or Google Play, or head to route.com to learn more. No Bullship, just great tracking. All right, we are going to take a look back at the 10 biggest questions facing the LA Kings this offseason. They're not all answered, but uh, we're starting to get some answers. Helping me out today to do that, Jared Schaffer. How are you doing today, Schaff? I'm great, Jesse. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you and I watched all seven rounds of the draft together. We, uh, we broke bread. We had some pizza, had some bagels. Uh, well, I had some french fries. You had some uh, some wings. Uh, we made two I days. Really of- love carbs, apparently. Yeah, well... Who doesn't? Yeah. Who doesn't? Uh, so we're just going to start from the top of this list, Shaf, and just start to work our way down. Um, the first question was, what will the other teams in the Pacific Division do? Still plenty of time in the offseason. Free agency hasn't even started. There's still trades. But we've got Duncan Keith retiring in Edmonton, Zach Cassian getting traded, the Vegas Golden Knights have a new coach. Like, There's a lot of, st- there's a lot of things that are going to change in the Pacific Division. No doubt. And I think, you know, again – Nothing necessarily new on this front, but with the Johnny Gaudreau situation right. is probably one of the biggest things. Like, what is Calgary going to do? How are they going to handle where they're at? And, you know, you'd think that right when free agency starts, we'll get an answer to what Gaudreau is going to be doing because he's probably top three most high-profile names in free agency. Yeah, and I don't want to make too big a deal of it, but the Edmonton Oilers – could be facing an offseason where they lose Mike Smith, Duncan Keith, Zach Cassian, and Evander Kane. If you take those four guys out of their run in the second half of last season, are they a playoff team? I mean, they might have gotten into the playoffs, but they, they certainly don't have. make the run. They certainly no. don't make the run that they Yeah. That they I mean, Connor McDavid is Connor McDavid, obviously, but I don't know. They're changing a lot of stuff, and Connor McDavid alone has not been enough to make them competitive in the past. But anyway, like I said, plenty of time to move on to all that. Second question was, what will the Kings do at the draft? Well, we know what they did at the draft. They selected uh, seven players, Jack Hughes, Kenny Connors, Angus Booth, Otto Celine. <laughs> Going to have to figure that one out. I think Celine is right. Celine, Otto Celine, Jared Wright, Jack Sparks, and Caleb Lawrence. Um, obviously we're all learning about these kids, uh, at the same speed as everybody else, but Jared, what was your impression after now four days of, uh, of draft talk? Yeah, well, and you know, I wasn't there, but obviously I was sitting next to you, yeah. uh, but you know, just hearing and listening to what Mark and Eddie said, it, it sounds like they had a lot of plans and they didn't really come to fruition. You know, they thought about trading into the first round, but they didn't really have the capital that people wanted, you know, once they lost that 19th pick, which was a great move that, that they made. And I'm sure we'll talk about that because that's part of this off season as well. But, you know, as far as looking at what happened in day two, I think there were a few targets that the Kings wanted to look into for the first couple picks of day two. And after day one, Rob Blake called maybe five or so teams 
and the teams weren't interested in, in trading those picks. So, you know, you have to have a willing partner if you want to trade up. And it sounds like teams didn't want to trade with the Kings in, in those situations. So there was no real uh, ability to move up. They make the pick for Jack Hughes. Uh, you know, obviously I'm biased because I went to Northeastern, <laughs> but obviously I think that program develops great players. And, you know, he's a very young kid who has a lot of runway, a lot of time, a lot of room to grow. Um, so that they make that pick. And then, you know, similarly in, in round three, I think they look to maybe make a move and they decided, you know what, we're going to actually go backwards. So they decided to, to go back, pick up an extra pick. So they made four picks, uh, sorry, made two picks in round four. And then, you know, you look at the late, the late part of the draft is a lot of uh, darts thrown at the dartboard uh, guys who maybe were injured, lost some time due to COVID, but have some raw ability. A couple guys that are huge, massive players uh, at six foot, six foot eight, six foot six. So just kind of guys that the development staff can develop. And hopefully in four or five years, they might be able to crack the NHL roster. So you're really not going to be able to take too much away from it other than, you know, it's a, it's a draft that the Kings really had their eye on the future. There weren't really anything after that Fiala trade. Nothing else was done with this year or next year or even a couple of years from now in mind. Everything is pretty far down the road. This draft to me is a great example of why you have to listen to everything uh, the organization says and not just some things. Because Mark Unetti has been really clear that you got to take the best player available. You don't want to draft for need. But he's also been really clear that there's really no such thing as the best player available once you get past maybe the top five or top ten guys. After that, it breaks down into tiers, right? So the guy ranked 51st um, isn't necessarily better than the guy ranked 55th or 61st. You have to have a ranking. But I think he said uh, somewhere I heard uh, over the last couple of days, you know, once that third round pick came around, the the previous tier had already ended. And so they were able to trade down and, and get two guys in the next tier. So the fact that they, you know, Again, the idea of best player available, but I am, uh, I've already spoken to a couple people that have watched some of these players, uh, spoken to somebody that covers Jack Hughes, Kenny Connors and, and Angus Booth, the second and fourth round picks for the Kings. I got to tell you, just based off of those two conversations, I'm very curious and excited to see Jack Hughes, Angus Booth and Kenny Connors play Angus Booth in particular sounds like, uh, exactly the kind of defenseman that I really, uh, get excited about. So um, I'm, I'm happy about that. I'm excited about that. They'll all be a development camp, which we will get to uh, in a little bit. The next item on the list was uh, when will Adrian Kempe resign or will Adrian Kempe resign? I suppose he has a four-year deal, 22 million. That's five and a half million per season. Uh, a 10 team, no trade clause will be submitted by him for the final two years of the contract. Jared, I'm, I'm pretty happy with the contract. I don't have strong feelings about it one way or the other. They got him. They got him for a, reasonable price and for a reasonable term. I think both sides, you know, have to be happy for him. It's a pretty big raise. He deserves mm -hmm. that raise. He played, he played very well. He arguably one of the top forwards on the team all year last year. So for him, he should have gotten the raise for the Kings. You don't want to blow your entire salary cap budget away on one player. And I think it was fair all around, you know, term wise, I think is fair. I think the, the money wise is, is definitely well-deserved and, and a good race for him. And the Kings can still have some room to do some other things. Now they are kind of getting a little bit closer to, to the cap than maybe they would have liked at this point. So they don't have room to bring in tons of free agents, but 
you know, it's nice that they got this done before free agency. So they really know where they stand when they start to see what the market is like for some of these other players they might want to bolster their roster with. They now know, okay, Adrian signed. We know where he's going to be at. We know we've got him and they can move forward. Yeah. Now the deadline to um, qualify restricted free agents is Monday. So by the time you're hearing this, it's today. Um, and then NHL unrestricted free agency opens up on Wednesday, the 13th. So uh, the next item on the list, when or will Mikey Anderson resign? We assume he will. Uh, that could be in the next few days. I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if it happened. I wouldn't be shocked if it didn't happen, but uh, I also wouldn't be shocked if it does happen. He is at the moment uh, a restricted free agent with no new contract. But we anticipate that coming soon. Um, this one Next item on the list has a bit of an asterisk next to the answer, which is what will the left side of the defense look come training camp? We don't know fully, but we do know that Jacob Uvarari has gotten a new contract. Yeah. And, you know, again, well-deserved, right? Like mm-hmm. last year, I think coming into the season, I don't think it was expected that he would be playing as a top pairing defender for the rain, let alone being on the NHL roster, let alone looking pretty good on the NHL roster when, when he got into some games and then staying there for the rest of the season. So I think far surpassed expectations for him last year. Great to see that he is back and again, well-deserved. So I, you know, again, a depth piece. I think if he was starting on opening night, there'd be some concern. I don't think that the Kings uh, value him that highly. They're definitely going to look at him as more of a depth defenseman, but a necessary piece for a competitive team, right? Like, this is the perfect example, and we talked about it so much over last season, and I talk about this all the time, The and the Colorado Avalanche, perfect example of a team that is incredibly deep with talented players. It's not just that their top six defensemen are good or that their top 12 forwards are good. So it, it is that when they have injuries, when guys maybe were out with COVID, when they had you know salary cap issue, you have to make a move. You have the depth in your organization that, oh, it's okay if we lose a guy or two, we can bring up another player. And the Kings learned that this year. They lost so many players uh, in bunches that a guy like Jacob Moverari is very valuable. So I think, you know, we don't want to gloss over him too much because he could become valuable. But at the same time, they're hoping he's not in the starting starting lineup on opening night. Yeah, and just to because the next question was, what will the right side of the defense look like? And there's been no movement on that front uh, yet. But just looking at the depth chart, the Kings have there was seven right shot defensemen under contract. Sean Dersey is an, is an RFA. Uh, Strand, Nozier, and Stetcher are UFAs. They have three left shot defensemen under contract. Mike Anderson's an RFA. They've got Bjorn Foot, Muvarari, and Nuzianen. Um, all three of those guys, or sorry, Nuzianen and Bjorn Foot would uh, not require waivers to be sent to Ontario. I, like you said, I don't think they anticipate uh, Jacob Overari being in the uh, in the lineup on opening night this season. So even once they re-sign Mikey Anderson, um, even if they brought back Mata and Edler and Bjorn Foot and Anderson, they'd still need to fill out the left side of the defense in Ontario. So... Um, Keep an eye on that, particularly in uh, development camp. And that's all I'll say about that for now. Might have more to say about it later. Uh, the next question was RFA forwards. Um, what are they going to do about that? Now, we don't have an answer about that. But again, today is the day. 
that qualifying offers need to be uh, tendered. Brandon Lemieux, Gabe Velarde, Jared Anderson, Dolan, Leish Anderson, and Johan Sodegrand all need qualifying offers or need to be made unrestricted free agents. So it'll be an interesting week starting on Monday um, with that being the deadline for RFAs. No doubt. And I think, you know, some valuable players in that group. So we're mm-hmm. going to, we're going to hear some news. I don't know that they're ready to let all those guys walk. I, I, I do think it would be incredibly challenging to bring all of them back. So, you know, I don't know if it's necessary for us to speculate who's going to be gone and who's going to stay, but you know, of that list, there are definitely a couple of guys who will not be with the organization moving forward just because they don't have enough space uh, in a lot of different ways. And, and for some of those guys, you know, it's time for them to move on, maybe get another chance to, to mm-hmm. be with another organization as well. And next on the list was uh, unrestricted free agents. This is all uh, within the organization. I think we limited it to forwards at the beginning of the uh, summer, but I'm just going to go ahead and expand it to all of them because we've got Garrett Sparks, Christian Willannon, Oli Mata, Alex Edler, Austin Strand, Nelson Nogier, Troy Stetcher, Andreas Athanasiu, and Martin Furk. When you add all of the unrestricted free agents, all of the restricted free agents, and all of the players under contract, um, they can't bring everybody back. Never mind cap space, never mind contract issues, never mind whether or not guys want to come back. You're only allowed 50 contracts, and they have, I know everybody, ha, 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 but <laughs> they have 39 contracts signed. Um, and I think I added it up earlier today. If they brought everybody back, they'd be at 55. So somebody's not, somebody's, somebody's not coming yeah. back, <laughs> whether it's you know, unrestricted that's or the nature restricted. of the business, right? Yeah. Like, yes, it you is. Know, that you're going to have that every single year where yeah. there's going to be some players that get a better opportunity elsewhere. There's going to be some players that, you know, at the end of the day, the coaching staff would prefer to have somebody else or the general manager, whoever, uh, you know, whoever's the head of that, you know, I guess it's Rob Blake, Rob Blake saying, you know what, we appreciate your, what you've done over the past couple of years, whether it's been one, two, three, four, however many years it's been, and we're going to go in a different direction. I think that's just the the nature of the beast. I, I think he has said that they'd like to maybe bring some of these guys back. Alex Edler, uh, I think he might've mentioned Oli Mata, you know, was, he was asked point blank about those two players specifically in his most recent media availability. And he said, yeah, um, and I think, you know, the, the feeling at the end of last year was that Alex Edler was a great leader. They loved his experience. It was a shame that he got hurt because he was playing pretty well before he got hurt. Then when he, then he came back, kind of rushed things back, wasn't playing as well when he came back because he was still kind of rushing back from that injury. So be nice to, to get him another go around if it makes sense, but he's going to be an unrestricted free agent. He might get a better offer from another organization and that might be it. Yeah, and a player I forgot to mention, TJ Tynan, uh, was an unrest- would have been an unrestricted free agent, but signed a two-year deal with the Kings. So they bring him back, um, two-time AHL MVP. <laughs> no, no big deal. No big deal. Uh, yeah, so um, that brings us then to, will the Kings make any trades in the offseason? And yeah, they sure did. They acquired Kevin Fiala. No doubt. And I mean, that's clearly the biggest move in- the offseason is far from over, but I don't think you're going to have a bigger move than that. Yeah, probably not. Bringing in and an just a dynamic forward who can do a lot of good good things in your lineup. He can score. He can pass. Uh, he can skate. There's so many things that you got to like about him. And I know there's a lot of people, including yourself, who are dreaming up line combinations already and, and seeing where he might fit. And that's exciting, right? When you get a player like that, when you want to kind of look at the lineup after that player gets added in that that's so exciting as a fan, you know, like, Oh man, this is a, 
a high-end, fully-caliber top-six player that we've added. And now not just for a year or two, this is a lengthy, long-term deal. This is a, a cornerstone piece of your organization for a long time, uh, a la what Kopitar has been. I mean, yeah, you're not expecting him to be the captain of the team, but you're expecting him to give the type of minutes – Production, leadership, everything that any player on a seven, eight year deal would, would be giving. So that's exciting for the Kings. You know, we keep hearing great things about Fiala. So we're just going to have to wait till training camp to actually see him on the ice. But, um, you know, he pre- feels pretty confident. I think he put in his, uh, in his social media bio, he's going to be wearing number 22 for the Kings next year. So he is, uh, he is ready to go. He's excited and, and we can't wait to see him in, in the number 22 jersey. And that brings us to our final item, which is uh, unrestricted free agent signings from outside the organization. And I, plenty of people have been looking at this. There's no news uh, to you if you're a Kings fan at this point. But barring a massive uh, series of trades where players would be leaving the organization, I can't imagine the Kings doing much in the UFA market because I just don't think they have uh, cap space. So unless they let some guys well, go first. That's why you said the RFA part is, is important first, right? Because mm-hmm. if the Kings decide some of these RFAs are not going to be signed, they will have more room in theory. Yep. Uh, Cause when you look at the, the salary cap, you're, you're looking at it with the caveat of, well, they're going to sign Mikey Anderson. They're going to sign, you know, a few of these other RFAs, maybe Carl Grunstrom, maybe, you know, um, few different few different players that that are eligible for that but if they don't well then they have more room in free agency and that would be unlikely for the kings to go outside of the organization especially when some of these guys are young up-and-coming players that they've spent money and hard work developing those players but they could decide to go into unrestricted free agency and grab a few players i think when you the most likely thing for me for the kings unrestricted free agency would be adding a left shot defenseman, whether that is one of the guys we mentioned or somebody else. That's probably the most likely spot where they might spend a little money is to bring in a left shot defenseman to further solidify the the depth chart there. Yeah. And it'll, you know, you've said it, everybody said it, it'll just come down to what Mikey Anderson's contract looks like and what they do with the rest of the contracts they have. I think they have six and a half million dollars in cap space at the moment. Mikey Anderson needs a new contract. Sean Dersey needs a new contract. Velarde Anderson, Dolan, Leish Anderson, Brendan Lemieux. Um, decisions have to be made. And then if they bring back Mata or or Edler or, you know, both of them, <laughs> as unlikely as that might be for financial reasons, um, they have some, they have some, I guess Jenga is not the right metaphor. They've got, they've got some sorting to do. They've got some I, I num- do want to bring crunching. up. We, one thing we talked about last year in these in one of these 10 question episodes mm-hmm. is we were trying to talk about who was going to make the team, who was going to be on the roster. And, you know, we, we brought up the, the thought of Brendan Lemieux, who mm-hmm. is now an RFA. Last year he was under contract and we felt like he was going to make the team because nobody else brought the dynamic that he did. And mm-hmm. sure enough. He did make the team. He did bring a different dynamic than any other player in the lineup. But uh, now he's an RFA. And so now you may have to give him a raise. He might be due some more money. If the Kings decide not to sign Brandon Lemieux, then they're without anybody with with that kind of agitation, toughness. It's not that other players aren't tough, but, I mean, everybody's seen Brendan Lemieux. 
Yeah. Nobody else is out there doing what he's doing. So right. I think if you're looking at getting to the next level in the playoffs, when things get, when you need to grind out games, when you need that toughness, you might need to bring somebody else of that ilk into the organization. And so that might be where you have to spend some of your free agent dollars is on a player like that. And, you know, those players can have a pretty big impact in the organization. So that's probably something that, you know, we first see whether, whether Lemieux gets a contract, but then even if he does, I mean, it can't hurt to have another player like that to, to bolster your depth. I think that's one of the areas the Kings would, would need a little help with. Yeah. And I know everybody listening to this will be paying attention today, Monday, and uh, all through the week, looking to see what uh, decisions the Kings make, whether they're checking out LAKingsInsider.com or Reddit or Twitter or, you know, wherever it is that they're looking. I know everybody will be paying rapt attention, as will we. Um, and that brings us, Jared, those are the 10 uh, issues. I think we covered all 10. But anyway, the uh, then that brings us to Dev Camp, Development Camp, which is starts Monday morning. Um, I'll be there. You'll be there. I don't know who else is going to be there on Monday. <laughs> Um, it's a lot of people are out of town, a lot of people traveling. Uh, there's been some changes in the employment status of some people covering the LA Kings for local independent outlets. Um, so it could be super crowded or it could be, could be you and me <laughs> tomorrow, tomorrow there'll morning be, or there'll today. Be some others there. I know, uh, shout out to, to Jim Fox who told me he's, he's going to try to come, but he's got jury duty. So he has oh, to see, right. he has to see whether he gets selected uh, yeah. for that first. So Jim, uh, we applaud Jim for being a good citizen in that respect. Yeah. I mean, d- development camp is one of those things where some days there's a full house and other days it's sparse. Uh, well, sparse and last year was tough, you know, and that's my only experience with, with Kings yeah. development camp is that, you know, it was a, still very much in a COVID world, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. which we, we still are, but uh, you know, last year, during development camp, all the availability was, was via Zoom. And this year, there will not be Zoom availability. There will be in-person availability. So from a media perspective covering the event, you know, I think that changes things. Uh, no, you know, no longer are we stuck w- looking at a computer screen to talk to these players and to get to know them and to learn about what they've been doing, what's going on with their summer, how their last season was. This is a more of a old school, a real life development camp. So I think that will be exciting. And there's some players because of COVID that haven't been to development camp because maybe last year it was so late that some guys were already starting classes. Alex LaFerriere is a great example. He was already in classes at Harvard. So he wasn't able to come to development camp. This year he is at development camp. He is on the roster. He will be there. He will be able to participate. So you know, there's a couple guys like that, maybe a couple guys overseas who weren't able to make it because of COVID uh, and traveling overseas, and they're able to be here. Yuho Markinen is is a player who wasn't at development camp last year. He is on the roster this year. Uh, you know, David. Rennick let's let's just at- go through the roster because yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of good names, and I, I just want, so we'll start with the goaltenders because it's the shortest. David Rennick, Yuho Markinen, those are Kings. Uh, those are drafted by the Kings. King's property um, camp invitees. I'm going to butcher some of these names. Apologies in advance. Luke, Luke Pavicic, I'm assuming um, yeah. call it collegiate player from UMass and Tobias and and Sika from uh, Germany. He's from German uh, player. Yeah. From ice bear in Berlin uh, also owned by AEG. There's always a couple Berlin guys um, invited to camp. So four goalies, um, obviously David Rennick, very popular. Don't know much about marketing, but excited to see him. So four goalies in camp. The defensemen, there's there's a lot of names on the defense and the forward uh, 
group, Jared, that, uh, that that raised my eyebrow. Everybody from the 2019 draft is uh, was invited. So Tobias Bjornfoot will be there. Um, Jordan Spence, Brant Clark, Jack Sparks, who was drafted this year. Jack Blake is an invitee. Helge Granz, Landon Kosier, who I think has been invited in the past. Yes, he was part of last year's roster. Yeah. And I think he was also in the rookie tournament roster. That there. sounds – yeah, he's a familiar name. Br- Braden Doyle, Kim Nuzian, and Angus Booth, a draft pick from this year. Corbinian Geibel, another uh, Ice Baron Berlin player. Love the name Corbinian. Ben Meehan, all names we know. And then Tyler Inamoto, uh, who signed a PTO with Ontario at the end of the year, but is technically – Carolina Hurricanes property until August 15th, which I thought was an interesting inclusion. He is still unsigned by Carolina and I guess wasn't invited to their camp. So guess not. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So that is uh, on the defensive end. But again, Tobias Bjornfoot, Jordan Spence, both have played significant games recently for the LA Kings. Helge Granz played a full season in Ontario last year. Um, And then on the forward side, again, a lot of familiar faces for Kings fans. Arthur Kaliev, uh, Francesco Pinelli. I think will be the first time we've had a chance to see him. I can't remember if he was there. He was. Last he year. was there last year. He yep. was okay. Um, Alex Turcott, uh, Andre Lee, Jared Wright, a draft pick from this year. Taylor Ward, who uh, played with Ontario at the end of last year. Quentin Byfield, Jack Hughes, Samuel Fagamo, Kenny Connors, Atu Johnson, Alex Laferriere, Samuel Hellenius. Uh, Caleb Lawrence with invitees Bennett Rosme, Lucas Sillinger, Quinn Emerson, and James Stefan. So, Jared, a lot more uh, established names than we're used to at development camp. I was a little surprised with that. Uh, The way it was explained to me, um, which you know, we might get a better explanation Mm -hmm. from you know from the from the staff during this week. But what it was explained to me is, if you're eligible, you're coming. Right. Um, so everyone who is eligible is expected to be at, at development camp. So it's, it wasn't a, you know, I think you see a lot of teams where there's the, the graduate thought of not, you know, a guy like Tobias Bjornfit. He's graduated. He's played Arthur Kelly. I've played in 80 games last year. He, he, a lot of teams will have that, you know, he's graduated on from this. I think for the Kings, again, I think for the Kings, these Im- events like, development camp rookie uh, that we see in September, it's important for them to just from a culture perspective, talk to players, have them get to know the staff, have them get to know. And and I think when you look at some of these young guys that were just drafted or maybe weren't able to be at a previous development camp, having another player like a Quentin Byfield, a Jordan Spence, a Tobias Bjornfoot who have been in the NHL, having them lead the way and show those young players, this is the way we do things here. This is how, you know, these are the staff that, that are here. Um, I just think that helps with getting the new guys up to speed, get them into the organization and get them to understand how things are done. So obviously, um, you know, it, it was a little bit surprising to see some of those guys who have been in the NHL, like development camp, what right. these guys have been on the NHL roster. But they're still young. They're within their uh, age group of, of being a part of this camp. And they're they're part of the NHL locker room that they can impart some of that knowledge to some of these younger players who are just getting a shot here. And I was asked what I thought about the inclusion of all those players. And I don't know that this is the thought process of the organization. This is just a theory. So don't don't anybody believe that this means anything. But perhaps this is a way to look at it and have it make sense. 
Um, I don't like the word rebuild in general because in my mind, it implies that every organization is the same or is in the same spot and, and that every time a rebuild is done, it, sh- it should be like that there's a, oh, this is how you do this thing, right? Like, and, and it's just not the case. So I see people trying to constantly make comparisons to what the Kings have been doing for the last three or four years to what they did, you know, when Dean Lombardi took over. And, and, and it's just not even remotely the same thing. Right? Dean Lombardi took over a franchise that had missed the playoffs for years and years. They didn't have any stars. There was no uh, legacy of winning. Whereas when Rob Blake took over this franchise, they were laden with stars, you know, future Hall of Famers. They were coming off of back-to-back, or not back-to-back, but two cup wins in three years the huge contracts to you know navigate like it's just not the same thing and so with the acquisition of Dino, the acquisitions of Dino, arvidson now fiala edler you know name some of these guys the, the development and um evolution of players like you know mikey anderson and blake lazat that maybe you didn't see coming i kind of look at this development camp and the inclusion of everybody from 2019 on as a way of saying okay the team is rebuilt, but the team, the rebuild wasn't to rebuild from nothing, from being a bad team into being a contender the way the Kings did in 2006 to 2010 and did it. And the cost of that rapid acceleration was then 2015 to 2022, right? Like they mortgaged, they still traded off first round picks and prospects in order to acquire a bunch of players. Not all of them worked out. I look at the way this quote unquote rebuild has gone and I go, okay, they have, obviously they're not, I don't think anybody would consider them strong cup contenders today, but they now have guys like Kevin Fiala and Adrian Kempe who are a certain age who have come in and, it, and you know, the Fiala trade, for example, yes, it cost them one first round draft pick and one prospect from the part of the, prospect pool that they just won't miss i'm sorry and even if brock favor turns into an incredible player if the other eight right shot defensemen they have <laughs> develop into even half of what they're supposed to be they'll never miss brock favor um so now you can look at your quentin byfields your martin chromiaks your casper seaman tybel uh, who won't be at dev camp unfortunately but you're all the guys they drafted in this year's class and you can say to them there is no guarantee that you will be given full minutes, right? Like, a, a, you know, Tim Stutzla steps into the Ottawa Senators and is given tons of minutes. And it's understood that that team will be bad because they're quote unquote rebuilding. And I look at this Kings team now and I go, yeah, they probably won't be bad this year. They weren't bad last year. And, and yet they still have this incredible prospect pool. And they now have, you know, like the question I was asking everybody in the, the last season was when was the last time a guy was taken second overall in the draft? And then the next season, his team was in the playoffs. It's not that common, right? It's not generally happen often. Yeah. Generally speaking, if your team takes, you know, the second overall pick, it's because they were bad and teams don't get good that fast. Um, So I think it's really interesting that this version of rebuilding has sort of accomplished or so far anyway, both at the same time, I'm optimistic and I'm excited about it. So I'm really curious to see how this development camp goes with all those guys. I think the one thing that's way different to now, as opposed to when you were talking about 2009, 2010, the knowledge and the understanding of the salary cap and how to build a team is way different. Like you see GMs doing things that they 
that they would not do back then, or you more likely things that were done back then. Now teams would never think about mortgaging that type of future. I, I think that teams value things a little bit differently now that we know where the salary cap is now that it's been a flat cap for the last couple of years, you start to value some of those young players, those draft picks, those prospects in a different way. Um, and free agency, people have become a lot wiser to free agency. Whereas back then uh, I think there was some contracts, way more contracts that were being, being given out that didn't work out well. And the Kings are probably victims of that as well. They made some mistakes back then. They've learned from those mistakes. So they're not just going to do the same thing they did back then because they don't want to be in the same place they were in 2017. Right. You know, like, yeah, it was great to win two cups. Nobody's complaining. The two cups are incredible. But five years after, then nobody was happy. So yeah. you want the goal would be to win those cups and then sustain the way that those teams were playing for much longer than just a brief blip. And then you have to rebuild again. And to that end, because I, I have these fights on Twitter and then I always want to have them here and they slip my mind. But <laughs> the, the notion of an all-in trade, I'm hoping is dead because, you know, people talk about the Jeff Carter trade. Oh, where's the Kings all-in moment? Where's the all-in moment? And I just go like, the Jeff Carter trade was a fluke. It'll never happen again because those kinds of contracts aren't allowed. And no team like Philadelphia is going to be able to sign two guys to huge cap circumventing deals and then arbitrarily decide a couple of years later, like, eh, nah, we've changed our mind. We're getting, we're moving on from that um, huge buy-in. So that sort of thing won't happen. And the Fiala trade, in my mind, is not all in because it, it's a first-round pick. Teams trade first-round picks for guys all the time. That's The biggest thing with, <laughs> with the Fiala trade was then the signing because right. you're committing – you're committing a term and a, a high value to a player. So you're you're betting that that's going to work out. Like you said, the first round pick at 19th overall, I mean, Mark Unetti said it. He said on, on this podcast, like 19th overall, what are the chances that that type of player, a, a Kevin Fiala type of player is available at 19th overall? Probably 1%. So you take that trade anytime, anytime you can. And, and I also, you know, I love what you say about Brock Faber because – to me, the Kings, it's not that they're going to miss Brock Faber. If he turns into an excellent defenseman, the Kings aren't going to miss him. You want to know why? Because they're going to be loving Kevin Fiala, not yeah, because well, of hopefully. all the other. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but you know what I'm saying? That's why yeah. the Kings made that trade. They're not necessarily. And yes, it's because they have a deep right shot defenseman pool of players. So in theory, they have other guys that can play. But the end goal, the the hope hopeful result is. Good for Brock Faber. He's going to get an opportunity to play for Minnesota. It's his hometown team, and you know, good for him. But the Kings are going to love that trade, and it's not having nothing to do with with Faber and everything to do with Fiala. Bringing yeah. him in, that was the what they needed. That that was the piece that they needed a, a high scoring winger. So, you know, it, it's definitely a you know you're not losing nothing, but the losses definitely outweigh. I mean, it's the the gain of Fiala definitely outweighs the losses. Mm-hmm. And, and I just, I see a world where now you, you know, I don't think any team has ever really done it. Detroit, I suppose, would be the closest and they, but they did it over a span that bridged, you know, pre cap salary cap and post salary cap. But now that we have the salary cap, now that we have contract limits, you know, and the, the landscape will shift again when there's a new collective bargaining agreement, it always does. But I don't know that we've ever seen a, hockey team 
in the modern era that had sustained competitiveness and cup wins. We've Probably seen the Pittsburgh Penguins is, is but they but they right they were able to start that run because they had seven or eight years of drafting high, right? They got Malkin, they got Crosby, they got Flurry, uh, Latang, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know that we've seen a franchise get good, stay good for a very long time. Just like I said, Detroit's probably the closest. Detroit, yeah, yeah. But they started with the benefit of not having a salary cap, right? They, right. you know, their their run of excellence started in the nineties. Well, that's um, why if Pittsburgh in the next couple of years, yeah, continue no, that's to true. Stay good. They would have started with the cap, kind of. You know, the Crosby yeah. era started basically when the cap started, mm-hmm. and really the question will be when he retires, will they be good? Right. right? And if yeah. they if they're able to do that, then they would be probably the only team that can say we've had multiple eras of greatness without a drop off point. Yeah, because now we've seen Chicago essentially blow up their team. Oh. Okay, <laughs> we started on Chicago. Yeah, I won't. Uh, that was the most entertaining part of the draft was watching Jared lose his mind about what Chicago's up to. Uh, but obviously, the Kings have had their dip, and you know, Carolina. I'm trying to think of other Tampa Bay. Uh, now they look very, very good, but they got there by uh, by needing to draft high. So uh, we'll see. But Jared, it's going to be a fascinating week. You and I will be there. Uh, Zach Dooley will be joining us soon. Um, out of town. I'll let it, leave it up to uh, to Zach to explain that when he feels good and ready. Uh, but he will be coming back. Um, I imagine Daryl Evans will be there. <laughs> Jim Fox will probably try to be there. Man, you can't keep Daryl Evans away no, <laughs> from the Toyota Sports Performance Center. He will be there. I and hope man, this- he, he is the most. I just, you know, he's just so fun to to talk to because, and if, if you know, if you're a fan who's coming out this week, you know, and you get a chance to say hi to Daryl, I mean, he is literally there almost every single day, and he pays attention to whoever's on the ice, and that includes professional players, kids, adults. He's watching whatever's going on on those ice sheets. So uh, he's the best person to talk to. Yeah, and I hope it doesn't come across um, mocking or or or, uh, or insulting to Daryl, but oh. like he really is just there all the time. <laughs> and he doesn't he doesn't appear to sleep. Like he's Well, that's just... the thing. He's there all the time, but also he's clearly not because he's always out running. Yeah. Charity jump... events. Yeah, yeah. he's talking biking. to groups. Yeah, yeah. it's crazy. He's, he's everywhere. <laughs> I, he's, he's who I want to be when I grow up. It's uh, impressive. Yes. Um, Absolutely. So anyway, uh, do come on out. The uh, All the sessions are available to the public. There's a scrimmage Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday at 3 p.m. and then one f- early Friday morning. I forget the time on that one. I think it's a 9 a.m. scrimmage that on sounds, Friday. And, and you right. know what? I do want to say I think that is going to make it a little more exciting for us covering the camp because – Last year, there was a lot of practice, and then we had like one, maybe two scrimmages, whereas this year, we're going to really be able to see some game-style action more frequently, and it frankly helps me evaluate a little bit better. I'm not, you know, I I love hockey, and I watch a lot of hockey, but I'm far from someone that can watch a drill and then start giving, you know, people evaluation. So it's a little bit better to see players in some type of game action, even if it is a scrimmage. So I think that'll help us a little bit. I think that'll be more exciting for fans who come out that you're not just watching a practice. You're watching some, some style of game action. But I think the inclusion of those players that we talked about will also make it more educational. Cause now, you know, a couple of years ago, for example, I'm sitting there watching Matt Luff as a camp invitee. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, okay, this kid looks better than everybody else out there. But everybody else out there isn't 
that impressive, right? There weren't, I don't think there were any first round draft picks at that point. Um, Cause I don't think they would have had one because Kempe and Pearson would have <laughs> made the team. Um, so, you know, we're looking at, you know, a bunch of invitees and third, fourth, fifth round graphics, but now you'll have Quentin Byfield, Tobias Bjornfoot, Arthur Callio. So now all of a sudden, if a guy has a great shot, well, okay, how great is it compared to Arthur Callio? If a guy is, you know, big and flying around and using his body, well, okay, but how big is he compared to Quentin Byfield? Um, you know, if there's a defenseman who's doing impressing in drills, well, okay, but how does he compare to, to Tobias Bjornfoot? How, where does, what does Brant Clark look like next to Jordan Spence? You know, there'll be a lot more sort of interesting comparisons, even in the drills, which are ordinarily, honestly, frankly, quite boring. It's funny you bring that up because last year there was a player who I had that, that feeling. I think you were there the day that this happened. And it might, I think it was Jack Jablonski. I'm not sure a hundred percent, but we were sitting there watching at the end of, of one of the day's sessions. And there was a couple players out there just shooting pucks. And I think it was Jack who said, man, that Jordan Spence mm-hmm. is really good. And you said something like, yeah, well, who's he out there with? Like, right. you know, these yeah. guys aren't good. Right. And, and, you know, and we both said, well, yeah, but his shot looks really good. And that was the first time where I was like, okay, well, I got to keep an eye on this, on this Spence kid, you know? And it just kept getting better and better and better. And that, you know, obviously led to him making the NHL. So uh, that is a, a great, great point. And that happened last year. And, and sure enough, that player was a, a valuable player down the stretch in, in the stretch run, which we never, I mean, if we were sitting there that day and I was like, yeah, that guy can play <laughs> yeah. in the NHL, right. you would have been like, yeah. no way. <laughs> yeah. No, but, not, you know, not at it's all. crazy how things can change in a year that, you know, a year ago when Jordan Spence was on this roster, nobody really even knew much about him. Nobody knew who he was really. And now one year later, people are like, does he even need to be at this development camp? Right. <laughs> like he might have, exactly, he yeah. might be too good for this development camp. I mean, let's make no mistake. He is, but it's going to be fun. All right, Jared, I'm going to let you go. Uh, we both have stuff to do, but uh, I will see you bright and early tomorrow morning. Or like I said, when people are listening to this, I'll be, I'll be <laughs> we'll seeing see you, you today. Week. Yeah, see exactly. All right. Thanks for listening, Kingstons. We'll talk to you soon.